listening to Hope Signals with Mark and Susan Mason, the podcast of Life on the Verge Ministries. Hope Signals is a podcast where we offer practical principles and motivational insights aimed at helping people navigate their hopes and dreams. All right, it's Mark, and I'm back with a new podcast that's actually going to be the audio for the video series that we are putting together for our December Good Infection shipment to prisons. It is based on the book I wrote in the summer of 2019 titled Thrival Mode, Using the Power of Vision to Ignite Your Passion for Living. You know, I find that many folks are in prison because they didn't understand uh, vision. They didn't have a vision for their lives, and so they drifted into a corrupted or a destructive vision. Uh, maybe they got around the wrong people and they only lived for the moment. They didn't realize that there are principles in the Bible that will help us walk out the works that God prepared in advance for us to do with our lives step by step. And so you can go to our YouTube channel and you can actually see the videos. We're going to put them out there on YouTube too. But the primary purpose is so that we can send them into prisons and uh, hopefully offer some some uh, instruction to inmates. You know, if they can wrap their mind around the fact that, yes, God put things in you that you, you can discover them and walk them out, it, it does generate passion in our lives when we're doing the thing that we know God equipped us to do. And so... It, this may be a little longer podcast than usual because I think the video is about 30 minutes long. But uh, I do hope you get something out of it. You may have heard our testimony before. You may have heard some of this part one before. This will probably end up being about eight or nine parts. Um, but uh, labor through it and you might pick up you know, a, a, a principle or be reminded of a principle. I find that uh, most of us, the older we get, we simply, you know, it's not so much new information. We need to keep going back and reminding ourselves, oh, yes, that's right. That's what the Word says. One of the reasons I journal, which I highly recommend, is uh, it's interesting to go back and read my journals, or I write my prayers in my Bible sometimes, and I can go back to, you know, many years ago, little jots in my Bible and and almost laugh at the prayers and how God brought us through. So, Hopefully, uh, this will inspire you because, you know, I hope that you're living out, walking out, or at least moving in the direction of your dreams. There's no better time for us as believers to shine in this dark world that we live in. So, uh, check it out. Here's the audio from the first segment of Thrival Mode, the video series. My name is Mark Mason, and my wife Susan and I are the founders of Life on the Verge Ministries. We are a musicianary ministry. We use music uh, to entertain, to edify or equip, and evangelize those in prison. And maybe you've seen us. We come in with full bands in some prisons and uh, all over the country. And sometimes it's just my wife and I with some soundtracks. But we come in to use something we love, music, to uh, entertain, but also we lo love to share our story and uh, just the goodness of God and His plan for our lives. Matter of fact, if you were to ask me the will of God for your life, I would say it is to thrive. 
That word thrive means to flourish, to grow vigorously, to prosper. I believe that's God's will. If you're a father, uh, wouldn't you want that for your own children? If you're a good father, how much more must our Heavenly Father want those things for us? Yes, we live in a fallen world and we face the same trials and challenges that sin has brought into our world, but God can give us peace and purpose and cause us to thrive even in the middle of that. I believe this so much so that I wrote a book in the summer of 2019 called Thrival Mode, Using the Power of Vision to Ignite Your Passion for Living. So many people live without passion because they don't have a vision. They want God to do it all for them or they ignore God completely. I believe that vision is our part. We need vision or a dream. We need to use our imagination is what I'm talking about here uh, to step out by faith and thrive the way that God wants us to thrive. I'm a father of three children and four grand, grandfather to four children, and I want them to thrive, but I'm not going to dictate every aspect of their life. I'm going to give them principles. I'm going to be there to help them, but I expect them to do a lot on their part. I'm not going to choose their career path for them. You see what I'm saying? I'm going to give them the, the tools they need to build a strong foundation no matter what career path they choose, but I I'm not going to choose their career path. I don't think that God is going to choose exactly what he wants you to do. He gives us a lot of free reign there. Now, I do believe in Ephesians 2.10, it says that we're God's masterpiece, some versions say, or his handiwork or his craftsmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So what that means to me is that there are things in you that aren't in me that God planned for us to dig out and walk in those things. And that's where real joy and passion in life comes from, knowing that you are doing the thing that you love to do, that you are equipped to do, that God obviously prepared in advance for you to do. And that's what vision is all about. You see, everything create was created with vision. The, the chair you're sitting in, the screen you're looking at, you can't look at anything around you that wasn't created with vision. Vision. Even you, my friend, were created with vision. God told Jeremiah the prophet, Before I formed you in the womb, I set you apart. God knew you before you were formed in the womb. He knew your DNA, your fingerprint, and the things that he would plant in you that if you by faith would, would craft a vision and step out on those dreams. I believe we all have some level of vision. Sometimes we bury our, our vision or our dreams. We bury those things. We don't have the faith to step out in those things. But I believe that God gives us all certain desires. And we really... Listen, you can't trust your desires if you're not delighting yourself in the Lord. Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. I used to think that that meant, well, if I delight myself in, in the Lord, he'll give me what I want. It's even better than that. If I delight myself in the Lord, in other words, I find my ultimate pleasure in serving and worshiping and walking in fellowship with the Lord then I can trust my desires. He'll cause me to desire the things that will bring me joy and expand his kingdom. Listen, this concept of vision 
It is what propels us to action. It stirs our passion for living. I'm going to walk through the book in this series, by the way, and and just draw out some of the the key points and talk about them for a minute. And uh, some folks will be listening to this by podcast, by the way. Uh, Some will be watching it on a tablet in prison. Others will be watching it on DVD in prison. Uh, I want you to know that it is our joy to minister to those of you that are in prison, by the way, because it is a vision of ours to use our lives to inspire others to step out in faith and become all that God created them to be, all that God saved them to be. If you're a believer, you need to understand God had more in mind than just saving you. If that's all he wanted to do is forgive your sins and then you're done, then he would have taken you home. If you're still breathing, God has more for you to do, more for me to do. So it's our privilege to minister to those in prison because we know that uh, God keeps our motives in check. We can't uh, expect to collect offerings and finances from those that our primary ministry is directed at. We have to trust God that if we'll walk out this vision, He'll bring the provision, which is a principle I'll talk about in a little bit. But vision is what propels us to action. So this this course and this book, Thrival Mode, which uh, I've sent copies of this to many prisons. Um, it should be in your library. If it's not, you can write us at Life on the Verge, P.O. Box 6110, Midlothian, Virginia, 23112, and we'll see about sending you a personal copy of it if you write us. You can also find it on Amazon, and if you're able to go to our website, lifeontheverge.com, you can download a PDF uh, version of the book and print it out for free, uh, or an iBooks version. But the reason I wrote this book in the summer of 2019, first off, let me say, that I had no idea how relevant some of the principles here. Now, the, these are not all my original principles. These are principles that I collected through the years to walk out the works that God put in me to do. And uh, and so there's there's a lot of this that will be a reminder for some of you. Maybe you're an entrepreneur, a business owner, a student of vision. Listen, I'm a student of vision, even though I kind of understand it more than I did yesterday. I need to be reminded on a regular basis of some of the principles uh, in this book. Um, <clears throat> but I had no idea when I wrote the book in the summer of 2019 how relevant this concept of vision would become in the year 2020. You see, we had just set out on a six-week or an a eight an eight month prison tour. We travel by RV with a sound system, and we go all over the country to prisons, putting on programs uh, with music and ministry. Well, we were only six weeks in. We'd done some prisons down in Miami and Central Florida when everything was shut down, and all of a sudden, our vision to come see you guys and gals in prison and minister to you that vision wasn't going to work, at least for a while. We needed fresh vision to stir our passion. Otherwise, without vision, we get depressed. Life has no meaning. We lose our sense of purpose. I tell uh, you guys in in prison when we come and speak, you guys and gals, um, there's something worse than the loss of your personal freedom, and that is the loss of purpose and significance for your life. You see, God can make you significant and give you purpose and give you a reason for being, a reason to get up in the morning, a reason to be excited, a reason to have passion, to be, that means to have intense desire and enthusiasm. He can do all that 
right where you're at, no matter where you're at. Uh, And so I had no idea that I was going to need to go back and reread some of my own writing to remind myself that I need fresh vision, where that comes from, the purpose of it. And so you're actually watching part of that fresh vision, which is our uh, new project called the Good Infection Project, which is to send regular resources into prisons across the country. So I'm not just trying to preach this stuff or talk this stuff. I'm trying to walk it out. So in the beginning of the book, I mentioned who the book is for, and it is for those of us or those of you uh, that are suffering from passion deficit disorder. By that, I mean you're stuck in a rut. I've been there, done that, and I'm sure I'll be there again. We get in these ruts where we can't see the next step. We get frustrated. It looks impossible. Listen, friend, I was... uh, Knee deep in life, I had a mortgage payment, I had two car payments, I had uh, a family, three children, mouths to feed, all of that, and God gave me a vision to go into full-time ministry uh, around 30, 32 years old. It seemed so impractical, but there were things that I could do. If I would, if I would do what was possible by faith, God would take care of the impossible, and sure enough, it, after a couple of years uh, of just Walking by faith, God opened the door and made it possible for us to enter full-time ministry. And uh, we've been in full-time ministry since 1995. And what we're doing today with music and being able to use something I love, which is music, to tell people about the one that loves me, it is the win-win. It gives me great passion and enthusiasm and desire uh, to do these kinds of things and even shooting this video for you. But it's all the product of vision. So what I'm saying to you is if you buried your dream, if you're that person that buried your dream or you're stuck in a rut, you, you need to pay attention to some of the things that are in this book, some of the things that I will talk about. Uh, this book is also for, or, or these videos are also for maybe you're a young person and and uh, you don't know what you want to be when you grow up. You don't know what you want to go to college for. Maybe people are trying to steer you in one direction or the other. Uh, this book will help you. This course, the, these videos will help you at least give you some tools to kind of work that out. And uh, maybe I mentioned already you're an entrepreneurial business person, you're a pastor, and uh, you've just kind of, you've hit this wall, you've stalled, like where do I go from here? It's uncanny to me how uh, the Lord will lead me to a book or a video or uh, I'll hear a sermon and there'll be one word or one line that grabs me and and helps me pesh push through uh, those walls that we hit even as we walk out vision. And then lastly, and even most importantly in the context of life on the verge, this is for those that are incarcerated. Listen, you need a vision for where you're at while you're there, but you also need to have a vision for what you're going to do when and if you are released back into society. If you don't have a vision for your life, somebody else does. Understand me. If you don't have a vision for your life, somebody else does, and often it sends people right back where they came from, and I pray that's not the case with you. So let me start with this. This is in the first chapter of the book. I talk about vision being a leader, how vision leads our actions and our thinking. It even leads the way that we spend our money. It leads the way that we spend our time. You see, when I was 19 years old, I was living with a girl in a beat-up apartment uh, in a bad part of town down in Norfolk, Virginia, which is where I'm from. 
And uh, I was pretty much an alcoholic. I don't know if I was ever diagnosed an alcoholic, but let's just say I was I was getting drunk every single night of the week. I was using every drug that didn't require a needle. Um, I'd been kicked out of three different high schools. I'd been arrested a half a dozen times. The future was not bright for me. But I had a praying mama and a praying granny. And let me tell you, if you got a praying mama, a praying granny, a praying auntie, a praying friend, a praying former pastor, the Holy Spirit is going to come after you just like he did me. I don't know why God let me see the error of my ways at 19. Some of you didn't see it till you were 30 or 40 or 50 or even older. But he did. And so that's why we do what we do today out of gratitude uh, from what God's saved us from. You know, uh, Eddie Van Halen just passed away recently. And I was a big Van Halen fan back in the in the day when I was a teenager. And uh, there's a song, now that I'm taking it completely out of context, but the song ain't talking about love. I am talking about love. But in there, there's a little bridge piece where David Lee Roth sings, you know, I've been to the edge and there I stood and looked down. You know, I lost a lot of friends there, baby. Got no time to mess around. That's really our heart. I think that like that, you know, I've been to the edge. I've been to the verge. And I look down and I've lost a lot of friends. And so this is why we don't have time to mess around. This is why we do what we do uh, with passion and vigor. So back to 19 years old, a living wreck. You know, I've got a. Thankfully, I hadn't been arrested as an adult. All of my arrests happened as a juvenile. Um, but for whatever reason, God let me see. I got liquor on the counter, I got beer in the fridge, I got weed in my pocket, maybe a couple of quaaludes, a couple of drops of acid, but I can't pay my bills. My my lights are about to be turned off. Suddenly I realized I have a values problem. I knew all along that if I would completely surrender to Jesus, he would cause me to become a new creation just like the word promises. I knew this because I was raised in church. As a matter of fact, my life began, I began life with a drug problem. My mama drugged me to church on Sunday morning. She drugged me to church on Sunday night. She drugged me to church on Wednesday night. Revival time, every time the doors were open. Uh, I tell people I was raised a spiritual schizophrenic. And if you've ever heard me speak before, I've told this story before. You know, uh, my dear mother and my uh now, I look back, there's no better way to put it than my hell-raising daddy. Uh, they sent me to a private Christian school. They didn't want me to go to public school, me and my brother. And uh, at that school, it was a Free Will Baptist school. No slam on the Free Will Baptist. I uh, love the Baptist. But this was an ultra-religious, ultra-legalistic. Some of you come out of that background. It's like if you you got long hair, you going to hell. You know, the Bible says long hair is a shame, at least in that culture. It doesn't say it's a sin. <laughs> I heard a comedian say that. So if you had makeup women, you going to hell. Earrings, you going to hell. Wearing paints, you going to hell. Listening to rock and roll, oh, you going to the deepest pit of hell. That's how this, you, oh, speaking tongues, you going to hell. This was Monday through Friday from kindergarten to the sixth grade for me. Uh, but on Sunday and Wednesday, whenever we went to church, we went to a hyper-Pentecostal church. And uh, by that, I mean people, all that was missing was the snakes. I remember a lady running around the church screaming in tongues. Her wig flies off, and she just keeps right on going. So they were all about teaching, uh, you know, ultra-Pentecost, hyper-Pentecost. The Free Will Baptists were slamming any kind of, of, of uh, you know, Pentecostal charismatic stuff. So at 12 years old, I said, 
You know, first I, I made up my mind. Me and my friend Floyd, we made a pact. We're never going to drink. We're never going to use drugs. We're not even going to smoke cigarettes. Uh, you know, we made a promise. By the time I was 13, I was spiritually confused and doing all of the above in excess. And that went on for years to come all the way up to where I'm at now when, when I was 19, living in that beat-up apartment with this girl. You see, through the crazy Pentecostals and the super legalistic Baptists, the Word of God was being planted in me. And I knew that if I would completely surrender my life to Christ, that He would transform it. And so um, the girl that I was living with had threatened to leave if I didn't. She was a partier. My gosh, we both ended up in the emergency room uh, on a bad acid trip about a month before. But she didn't party as hard as me. And I was, like I said, getting wasted drunk every single night, uh, just getting deeper and deeper into that pit. It got so bad. She said, if you don't stop, I'm moving back in with my mom. And so I tried to quit and I couldn't. I realized what it was going to take. It was going to take complete surrender. I just knew that if I would surrender my heart completely to the Lord and serve Him with all of my heart, if I would begin to love the Lord my God with all my heart, all my strength, uh, all my soul, if I'd be to love my neighbors myself, if I receive what Jesus did on the cross first as the payment for my sins, that all these chains could be broken. I'd heard many, many testimonies. I'm giving you one right now. Uh, friend, if you're trapped, you need to know that God is a God that keeps His promise. And when we surrender our lives to Him, He turns us into a new creation. Well, on November 23rd, 1982, I gave up. I got on my knees and I cried out to God, forgive me, Lord, change me. I was crying my eyes out. I was drunk. The girl I was living with walked in. She didn't have any spiritual background at all. She didn't go to church growing up. I said, hey, check this out. Just, just I explained the gospel to her, drunk, crying, weeping. And uh, she prayed the prayer with me. And I said, you know what? On Sunday, we're going to find a church. Nobody had to tell me I needed to go to church. I knew I needed to get around people that were following Jesus that would help me walk out his plan for my life. So I went to, we went to church uh, the next Sunday. And within three weeks, we were married. And this December... We'll be married 38 years, and God has given us an amazing ride, friends, that we didn't deserve by His grace. Wonderful children that know nothing of the lifestyle that I endured uh, as a child and grandchildren. He has blessed our lives. But let me tell you how this all began to unfold. After the Lord saved me, you know, I was only 19, and I was working at a grocery store making $4, $4.50 an hour, something like that. And I was working in the produce department of this massive grocery store. And uh, this produce department had 20, 22 people on the roster. It was a huge, huge produce department in this store. And uh, But I was happy. I had an apartment. I had a car, albeit it was a beat-up 1972 LTD Woody station wagon that leaked every fluid you put in it. But I had a car. And uh, I had a job. I had a wife. I'm saved. God is good. Well, one day I was throwing oranges on the produce rack at the grocery store. And I, f I had a thought. Now, I, I wasn't an audible voice of God, but these many years later, I'll definitely say that God put that thought in my heart right then. All of a sudden, something flashed into, flashed into my mind I'd never heard before. Mark, you're only 19. You can be whatever you want to be when you grow up. 
It was a revelation. You know, you guys that have lived uh, the rough and tumble life like I described, sometimes even worse, you can feel much older than you really are. But what God was saying was you're only 19. You know, wake up. You're still a kid. And let me say this. Most of us think of ourselves as older than we really are. In, in God's way of thinking, when you look at eternity, He says, you're only 40. The future's bright. You're only 50. You're only 80. You've got eternity in front of you. Get to work. You know, go walk out the plans that I prepared in advance for you to do. Nevertheless, after I had this thought, I stopped throwing the oranges, and I guess it was on my lunch break probably, I walked over to the book rack in this bookstore, and they had a book called Mathematics Made Simple and English Made Simple. And I picked up both those books, and I began to go to the library on my own. Now, you need to understand, I was kicked out of three high schools, but I had not passed a single class since the ninth grade. From the ninth grade forward, I went from a decent A, B, occasional C student to a completely failing student uh, in the 10th grade, and then eventually, again, got kicked out of three different high schools in three different cities. So I had really very little education. I fried my brain with massive pot smoking and acid dropping, and... uh, I began to study, and the next thing you know, I was the first in my family to get my GED. I ended up enrolling in a community college. I was the first in my family to get a college degree and went on to a productive career. career. And I'm telling you all this to say that vision is a leader, that when that flash of light comes into your mind, that this could be, this could be. What is that dream? This could be, if you'll nurture that seed of a vision, work with what you've got, where you're at, don't be surprised when what could be becomes what should be and ends up becoming what must be, and you start to surrender more and more of your life to the vision that God gives you. And so this book is going to talk about the characteristics, or this video series is going to talk about the characteristics of a passion-producing vision, the purpose of a passion-producing vision, the source of a passion-producing vision, developing a passion-producing vision, staying focused on a passion-producing vision, the obstacles that can hijack a passion-producing vision, navigating the risk of a passion-producing vision, how to make wise decisions and choices as you walk out. You see, this isn't about, oh, I got an idea, I'm going to do this crazy thing, so I'm going to quit my job today and go jump into the great unknown. There is a process for nurturing and walking out a vision that God gives you to to do the works He created in advance for you to do. And the last part is understanding the necessity of a passion-producing vision. Listen, Christians, you need to be dreaming big, especially in this season of pandemic, so much darkness in our country right now. You need to be dreaming big. How can I do something with, with my life? How can I discover those works that God prepared in advance for me to do so that I can be a channel of His love, His light, and His life? in a time such as this. You know, I'll close with this. I begin the book with the concept of labels and how we can diminish who we are to God and who we can be through God uh, based on our background. You see, in the world's eyes or in practical, conventional thinking, one might say, well, Mark, you're the son of a convict. Uh, you're a th- three-time loser at high school. You're a, you're a drug addict. You did this. You did that. There's plenty of things I can condemn myself with, plenty of labels that I can put on myself. But I've got to redirect my thinking and say, wait a minute, who does God say I am? I talk about in the book, this guitar, you guys that are watching my video, you get to see it. 
This guitar belonged to my brother, who actually was a drummer. He and I grew up playing rock and roll. We had a very loud household. Uh, we had the cops called on us a few times playing rock and roll. He was the drummer. I was the guitar player. And uh, he was murdered in 1997 while he was trying to serve God. One of the young men that he was reaching out to took his life. That's an, a story for another another video. But right before he died, uh, he bought this guitar. He decided he was going to encroach on my territory, and he bought this guitar. And after he died, I inherited the guitar. And it just kind of stayed in a closet, uh, ignored, because it was a pawn shop guitar he bought for $30, and it's a Squire bullet. You guys in prison, I know if you're real guitar players and they've given you a Squire, you're lusting for the day you can actually play a real Fender Stratocaster or Telecaster. Well, these are made by Fender, which is a very reputable company, but this is kind of their entry level guitar. And there can be some okay Squires out there, but these are really very much designed for just getting into guitar. You won't see too many pro players out there on the on their tour playing Fender Squire guitars. So I didn't think much about this guitar because of the label. 20 years goes by, and one day a few years ago, I started researching on the internet because I, I thought this was an unusual looking Squire. You guys that are guitar players, you'll admit, this is a little different looking with three pickups and a humbucker and all that. I researched it and it turned out this was made in 1980 and uh, it was made in Japan when Japan was making Squire guitars, and they're actually well-respected and very well-made considering uh, it's a Squire. And this particular guitar, I found it on e eBay in several places for over 800 bucks. He paid $30 for it. So I said, well, I'm going to tune her up and take her on tour. And then I thought about it, and I said, you know, one day I'm going I'm to get a Fender neck because I don't like that label you know, Squire bullet. People will think less of me because I'm playing a Squire and I try to come off like I'm some kind of pro rock star, you know, so I'm not going to play a lowly Squire. Then it dawned on me that the real value of this guitar is not the label, it's whose hands it's in. You see, a, a, a good player, if you put this in Eddie Van Halen's hands, you'd never know it was a Squire. It had... The label means absolutely nothing. And that is very much the way our lives are. When we surrender our lives into the hands of a master player like the Lord, into the master's hands, he will cause our lives to sing a song that will blow our minds. We are living proof. I hope that encourages you. You guys that are listening uh, by podcast, I'm sorry you couldn't see the picture of the guitar, but nevertheless, I'm trying to kill two birds with one stone and shoot video and use the audio for my podcast. Um, we'll be back with Chapter 2, The Characteristics of a Passion Producing Vision, in the next, uh, the next segment. Let me pray for you real quick. Lord, Thank you for giving us minds, moreover, the mind of Christ for those that follow you, for giving us an imagination, for we know that you are a creator and that we are made in your image, and therefore we are to be creative. Your word says that a, a noble person plans noble things. I pray that all of us as believers would seek you to discover those works and walk out those callings that you put on our lives, God step by step, even in the face of uncertainty. Lord, that we would put aside the labels that others have put on us, the labels that we've put on ourselves, and we would adopt the label you put on us, that we're your son or your daughter, that we are uh, the righteousness of Christ. 
We are a chosen generation, generation, a royal priesthood. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Hope Signals. You can learn more about us at lifeontheverge.com. We're a completely donor-funded ministry that carries the good news to prisons around the United States. You can help us by sharing this podcast, by partnering with us with a tax-deductible gift at lifeontheverge.com, or by even talking to your leader or pastor about having us come and minister. Thank you for letting us be just another voice of inspiration in your journey.